Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors. Really glad you're with us this morning. Uh, before jumping into the sermon, I just wanted to highlight something. Uh, uh, we had a Presbytery meeting yesterday. If you didn't know, we're a Presbyterian church, and Presbyteries when uh, all the churches from a local area get together. Uh, our area is called Eastern Carolina, uh, and at our Presbytery yesterday, Chris Cooper, who many of you know, has preached here. He's uh, the campus minister with RUF at NCCU uh, has been studying for a long time, and he passed his licensure exams in Bible theology and church polity. Uh, so he took the writtens, the oral exams before a committee, and passed the oral exams yesterday before the presbytery. So if you see Chris, the Coopers, congratulate him. Yesterday was a big day uh, for him. I, I think he'll be at the second service. And then Evan Marbury, who uh, is a member of our church, Evan came under care of our session uh, through the Presbytery meeting, he is under care of the oversight of our church, looking to pursue ordination and a call to ministry in the future. And so we're really, really uh, thankful for that. So yesterday was a, an exciting day uh, for Christ Central and, and for Eastern Carolina Presbytery. So if you are new, I did, I did want to say uh, welcome. Glad, uh, glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, that you were willing to come and be with us. And we've been working our way through uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount this summer. And last week we heard Jesus preach these words in Matthew 5:20. He said, "Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven." That's a big statement. Uh, reminder: If you weren't here last week. Uh, that when Jesus said this, he's not after an external righteousness. Jesus is not after a cosmetic, put-together good life. This is what the Pharisees pursued. Our righteousness must surpass their righteousness. The gospel of Christianity is, it's not work harder, be good, and then God will love you and you will merit and earn salvation. The gospel is that God loves you. He gifts salvation to us, and by grace through faith in Jesus, he makes us, makes us his beloved child. And out of a secured and loving relationship with God, we begin to care about the things God cares about. That what matters to God begins to matter to us. And the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling us what matters to God. That God cares about a deeper and deeper righteousness, not merely an external cosmetic put-togetherness, but a heart righteousness. Now, a passage this morning that is going to be on the screen is in your bulletin. Jesus begins to unpack this deeper righteousness. This is the first of six statements that Jesus will make where he says, You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. You've heard it was said, but I say to you, he, he does this six times. Now, I've got to be honest that this, this morning, as I've been preparing for this sermon all week, that I feel like this morning is a little bit of divine comedy. Because Jesus is addressing anger. And it's felt to me all week as though God is laughing, not at me, but kind of with me. Oh, child, what grace that you one who is so often angry, preaches on not being angry. Now, I heard someone say recently that the more faithfully you preach the text of Scripture as a pastor, the more you become a hypocrite. Because the gap between your life and the truths 
and the ways of God are revealed more and more and more. The gap is larger and larger. And this feels very true for me this morning. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand, and we're going to give attention to God's Word in Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. Jesus' sermon to us. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and to the judge and then the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, let's pray together. Lord God, I ask that you would, Jesus, preach these words fresh and new to our hearts and to our minds. You know how much uh, I need to hear from you, how much I need to be transformed, how much my heart needs to be softened. I pray for all of us this morning you would meet us where we are and that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to our spirits through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, over the past few years, uh, there have been numerous videos released uh, for us to see of airplane passengers who become extremely angry, and the airline has to remove them from the flight. Now, if you remember the one video of the guy who had to be dragged off the plane because he became so angry, the video went viral. Millions of people watched this man rage and then be dragged bloodily off of the airplane. And then Southwest Airlines very quickly made a commercial, Come Fly Southwest, where we beat our competition not our passengers, right, quickly coming out with that commercial. But can you imagine if your anger was put on a video for the whole world to see? All of your judgmental thoughts, all of your sharp words, all of your cutting remarks, all of your anger expressed and all of your anger that you suppress was recorded for the whole world to see. That's scary. Now, anger is evident in all of our lives in different ways. And let me start by saying that some of the most angry people I've experienced have been Christians. And most often than not, it's Christians who are trying to be nice and trying to be the good Christian, the smiling Christian, but deep down, angry as hell. So instead of asking, are you an angry person, I'd rather ask you, what do you do with your anger? Do you blow up or do you clam up? Either one will burn you up. Do you become explosive and volatile or do you simmer and try to push it down and think you can count from one to ten slowly and hope your anger goes away? When we get angry, be it blowing up or clamming up, I think we can be tempted to justify our anger by blaming it on other people, can't we? 
something a person said or something this person did. We can have feelings of hurt or fear. It leads us to be angry, and we can blame it on others. I was asked a question recently, convicting, and it was this. Have you ever gotten angry at an inanimate object? Convicting to me because I can rattle off many instances. How about my lawnmower when it doesn't start? Or every time I get my weed eater out and I have to keep cranking on that thing until it finally starts. You know, there's times when I'm full of shame because I real, I'm like, when are one of my neighbors going to say something when they see their pastor neighbor exploding with anger at the lawnmower or boiling with anger as I'm continually trying to crank the weed eater to get it started? And don't get me going on my Roomba that gets stuck every time underneath our couch that doesn't do its job of picking up our dog's hair that he sheds everywhere. See, people can do things that cause us to get angry, but an inanimate object has done nothing to us. It just reveals we are angry. Jesus in Matthew 5, 21 says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I've got to clarify, in case you missed last week, Jesus is not contrasting the Old Testament. He's not contrasting the Old Testament. When Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, he's referring to the interpretation and the teaching of the Old Testament by the Pharisees. The Old Testament is not the issue. The issue is the Pharisees' teaching of the Old Testament. The Pharisees were restricting and minimizing the Old Testament teaching on the Sixth Commandment here. That you shall not murder. They were minimizing it to solely the physical act of murder. And Jesus says, no, it's much deeper than that. It's anytime you get angry. Now, in, in some translations, there's a clause added here. And the clause is without cause. So the reading could be, do not get angry without cause. And I think that's helpful because the Bible does teach there is such a thing as good anger, right anger. And Jesus got angry in the temple when the people turned the house of God, which was to be a house of worship, into a house of profit. God gets angry when he sees that the world is not the way he created it to be. So there is good anger, anger for something to be made right, anger at injustices in the world, anger at sin in our lives or uh, sin in the world. Righteous anger fuels and drives us to take action. But we have to understand that anger is like nuclear energy. It can be used for good. It's what fuels passion. Get angry for something, or it can be used for ill, and be quite catastrophic. And Jesus is clearly talking about catastrophic anger here today, particularly anger that destroys relationships with people. So we're going to look at two things very simply. What is anger, and then how do we deal with anger? So let's look first at what is anger. To understand anger, Jesus gives us anger in action. Look at verse 22. He says, whoever insults his brother with a... Uh, will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That's another way of saying liable to God's judgment. Whoever insults, the Greek word here, uh, or the Greek here is whoever says raka. Raka is an Aramaic word that means empty. 
So the text could read like this. If you ever insult, insult someone by calling them empty-headed, nitwit, blockhead, brainless idiot, you'll be liable to judgment. It's the demoting of a person to a level of nothing. It's making somebody a nobody. And then Jesus continues and says, whoever says fool, and the Greek for fool is the word moros, where we get the word moron. It says going beyond raka. This is not just talking about somebody's IQ. This is addressing someone's moral condition. It is attacking the dignity of another person. Insulting, demoting a person, attacking a person's dignity. These can be expressed explosively and clearly. I recently read a true story uh, of a fourth grader. The mother of this fourth grader reported a note that her daughter had received in class one day. And this is what the note read. Dear awful Janet, you are the stinkiest girl in the world. I hope you die. But of course, I suppose that's impossible. So I've got some ideas. Play in the road. Cut your throat. Drink poison. Get drunk. Knife yourself. Please do some of this, you big fat girl. We all hate you. I'm praying, oh please, Lord, let Janet die. We're in need of fresh air. Did you hear me, dear Lord? Because if you didn't, we will all die with her here from Wanda. Verbal assault on another person like this is clearly what Jesus is prohibiting. This is murder. And some of you need to be warned against such anger that if you ever talk to someone like this, it's plain evil. Perhaps some of you have been recipients of such verbal insult and assault. And if you are experiencing this or have experienced this type of bullying or shaming and taking away of your dignity, please share with someone. Please talk to us. If you're a child, please talk to your parent. Please share if this evil and what Jesus calls murder has happened to you. Now, some of us, I would say many of us, are probably suppressors of our anger than exploders. You, you might murmur more underneath your breath. Right, take driving. Someone's going really slow. They cut in front of you, and you kind of underneath your idiot. Idiot. Or you see somebody from a different political party and persuasion saying and doing something, and you, you kind of murmur, what a moron. Worthless. Or maybe you're just trying to vent about someone uh, with another person. You just want to get it off your chest because your anger's building and, and you want to let the gas out and go back to feeling like a good and loving person. But what happens if you vent a fire? It fuels the fire, which leads to an explosion. Venting to another person about another person will not make you feel any better. You'll just get more angry or grow more tired and you'll be fueled to blow something or someone up. Do you see how this is murder? Destroying and demoting a person, a person that is beautifully created in the image of God. Now, why do we insult, demote, take away dignity from another person who's created in the image of God? I think this question helps us understand anger. I think the answer to this question is that this other person is getting in the way of 
or blocking something that we want that matters greatly to us. See, anger happens when something interferes with what we hold as highly important, even ultimate. Anger is like the check engine light on a car dashboard. It reveals that something's not okay under the hood. Why would you get angry and call someone an idiot if they're driving 15 miles per hour in a 35 miles per hour zone? Because what really matters in that moment is your time and your plans. And that person is blocking what really matters to you. So they're wrong, you're displeased, you're against what's happening, and you get angry. Why would you get angry at your children when you come home and their room's a mess? Because what matters to you in that moment is a controlled environment, and they are blocking your desire for control. So they are wrong, you're displeased, you're against what's happening, and you get angry. See, anger is always revealing something about ourselves. It is the check engine light going off, communicating there is something wrong in our hearts. Good anger is an anger for God's glory, an anger for the world to be made right, and it leads to passion and action. But our anger is most often polluted, mostly driven to protect ourselves, our rights, our honor, our agendas, our kingdoms. So your anger can be volatile or it can be boiling. Either way, it will destroy you and your relationships if not checked. And it can lead to verbally abusiveness, attacking someone outright contempt for a person, or it can lead to bitterness and resentment and make you slowly pull away and withdraw from someone. Either way, Jesus says, you're murdering in your heart. So let me ask a few diagnostic questions to reveal anger. Are you irritable? Are you defensive? Are you bitter towards anyone? Are you aloof and withdrawn from relationships or certain relationships? Are you lethargic and tired? See, angry people could be filled with pride and express their anger with explosion and being irritable and defensive and bitter and resentful, or angry people can be depressed as the anger boils and they can be aloof and withdrawn and lethargic and tired. Now, it feels impossible at times to not be angry, doesn't it? I fail at it so often. So let me encourage us all to not waste the failures we have with anger. What do our failures with anger teach us about ourselves? See, they are opportunities to teach us about our fears, our needs, our desires, our wants. Eugene Peterson said anger is the most useful diagnostic tool because it helps us see our hearts for what they are. Well, how do we deal with our anger? This is what anger is. How do we deal with it? If you don't deal with anger, it will smolder and you will become cynical or despairing. If you do not deal with anger, it will deal with you. If you don't deal with anger in your relationships, there will be a fire within you that burns and then burns other relationships. Put it another way, if you're nursing a grievance towards someone, it will either calcify your heart and cause you to shut down, or it will lay dormant and become a virus that infects your other relationships. 
deal with anger or it will deal with you. And Jesus tells us to deal with it. Verses 23 to 25, Jesus gives us two illustrations on how to deal with anger in relationships. The first illustration, he says, if you're offering a gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go be reconciled. And then in verse 25, he says, come to terms quickly. With both of these illustrations, Jesus is saying reconcile immediately and urgently. Keep short accounts. Righteous people living in God's kingdom are slow to anger. We keep short accounts with one another. We seek to live in peace with one another. This first illustration Jesus gives is that of someone in worship realizing that they need to be reconciled. So they leave worship and they're reconciled. That's not suggesting that every Sunday morning we need to leave this gathering of worship and go have one-on-one heart-to-hearts with people in here. Jesus is saying that we don't need to be just ceremonially worshiping while our hearts are murdering. To not just allow our external to be doing something and our internal be at odds. That true worship is from the heart. Now I have to say this that I know in a congregation of over 600 people on a Sunday that there are people in here that need to be reconciled to one another. There's no doubt in my mind that there are grievances and people that are harboring bitterness towards one another, people that have downright said harmful things and done harmful things to each other. And extend it beyond our congregation. Examine your family relationships co-workers, your friends, people that annoy you. We have to keep short accounts. We must deal with our anger. Some of us were talking about this text on Thursday at at the office, and Evan Marbury said, we may not be the cause of our anger, but we are responsible for how we deal with our anger. You see, we have the responsibility to deal with it, and Jesus has deal with it quickly, even if it feels small. Instead of exploding or boiling, seek to reconcile your anger so that it doesn't become big and unmanageable. God longs for us to be reconciled to one another. God wants to heal the division that exists. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to become best buddies with everybody. Everybody's your best friend. The person that you seek to reconcile with may not respond to your attempt at reconciliation. Y'all might never see things eye to eye. That's okay. But it does mean, and the call to us is to see sin extinguished in our life. That we get righteously angry and passionate about seeing sin lose its hold on our lives. And then it leads us to seek reconciliation. Well, How do you know you're ready to confront someone and to seek healing with them? I think you're ready when you have tears in your eyes for them. When your heart breaks for that person. See, if you go to someone and you're seeking to be reconciled and you say, hey, I'm just telling you this because I love you, and then you drop it on them. You blast them with it. It's more about you than it is about them. Do you have tears in your eyes for the person you're seeking reconciliation with? How do you get to that place? 
tears in your eyes for another person that you're angry at. 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul writes that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. So the cross of Jesus is the place where the anger of God was poured out on Christ for the sins of the world. And because of the cross, God does not hold, does not count our sins against us. He forgives us because Christ paid the price. The cross of Jesus is perfect anger, destroying sin, not destroying us. It is the righteous anger of God for the purpose of reconciling us to God and to one another. Is your heart moved by the mercy of Jesus? See, anger is about fairness. It's about being fair. Aren't you glad God's not fair? That God didn't give us what we deserved, but instead is merciful and offers forgiveness when it's unfair to Him. Is your heart moved by the patience of God? That He is long-suffering and forbearing, that He is kind and gentle to us. Through the cross and by the mercy and patience of Christ towards us, we are reconciled to God. And when we're moved to tears by this gospel, we're transformed not into perfect people, but into people who, when we do become angry, we deal with it. We confess that we're holding on to something more ult- as more ultimate than Jesus. That our anger is the check engine light revealing that we have an idol in our heart that's being interfered with. And then we turn to Jesus and we're loved by a merciful, patient, kind, and gentle Savior. And instead of anger burning and waiting to explode or boil over, we become people of mercy patience and kindness and we seek to love with tears in our eyes other people because the love we received from God we become people who hold short accounts people who seek peace with others and it is through our love and kindness and reconciling hearts toward each other that the world will know Christ Central Church that we are children of God of a God who is merciful patient, and kind. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have a righteous anger and it was poured out on the cross. That You did not treat us as we deserved, but Christ bore in his body the death that we deserved. Thank you that uh, there is no demoting of us. There's no taking away of our dignity. You actually restore our dignity through reconciling us to yourself so that we might live in the way you've created us to live. Lord, I pray that you would deal by your spirit with the anger in our hearts. Lord, we're all angry in different ways. and I pray that we're not a church that smiles and shakes hands and deep down inside we're so angry at each other or angry at the world, even angry at you. Would you soften our hearts? Would you reconcile us to one another? And would you reconcile us to you, Jesus? Thank you for your love that abounds to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.